0: How did you wind up coming back to the Lord? Walk us through that whole process. How did it happen? So my mom would give me $20 to go to church. So I would buy a bag of weed and smoke it and go to church.
1: Did the church have a smoking section and a non-smoking section? <laughs> I made
2: one. <laughs> Live your life with purpose. Change someone's life for the better and leave a lasting impact on those around you. Welcome to Finish Strong, the podcast designed to help you discover your unique purpose and develop a plan to leave a powerful legacy. Dan, Brian, and Terry are ready. So let's get started you have someone that you've been praying for, maybe it's a son, a daughter, a grandson, or a husband, and they've walked away from the Lord, or maybe they've just rejected God, and maybe they've rejected you. Well, this podcast is going to give you some hope today, because we've got a modern-day prodigal son story, and it's really a story that demonstrates the power of prayer and the love of a family. My name is Dan Wheeler. This is a podcast called Finish Strong. And my co-hosts are Terry Steen and Brian Rowland. And it's always good to work with you guys. Boy, Brian, I'm going to start with you. We've got uh, quite a story of redemption and of, of hope and faith today.
3: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Keep thinking a prodigal son, and I go, Boy, I never was that. Uh, <laughs> I thought <laughs> yeah, I was, but right. I wasn't
2: really, you know. But I've seen you had a few people a
3: praying for you, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I had a, a lot of people praying <laughs> for me, and that's probably yeah. why I didn't become a prodigal son. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, Terry and Brian's case, it took an army, but uh, this story is uh, <laughs> an army of prayer, uh, but this story is close to your heart, and uh, and You were really intimately involved with this. Tell us a little bit about who we're going to interview today and then just introduce him.
1: Yeah, thanks, Dan. In in fact, I think a few podcasts ago when we were talking about fasting, I shared a little bit of, Mm -hmm. of Derek's story, who's my nephew, and the power of fasting, the power of prayer. And Derek is the result of that. And so uh, I am excited to welcome my nephew, Derek, my my brother, Dennis. He's the oldest of the four steam boys, and he had two boys himself, so he kind of. Derek and DJ have a lot of pressure on them to perpetuate the Steen name properly because everyone else had girls. So right. <laughs> Derek, Derek, a lot of pressure on you, not for this podcast, but just life in general, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. Glad to have <laughs>
0: you with you. us. Thank you very much.
1: So you grew up in a Christian home because uh, our father, you know, we're like third, fourth generation Christians and... What caused your life to take the direction it did? We want to walk our way through your testimony, but how did that happen when you're brought
0: up in a Christian home? Sure. I keep like kind of trying to think of what would cause me to take the route I ended up taking. And I think of a couple of times just in my childhood where things happened. There were some like traumatic events. There was a, a In one town, there was one of my kind of friends. My parents told us not to go to their house, but his dad abused me Mm. once. Mm. I wasn't supposed to go there, so I didn't say anything. I'd blocked it out. I knew kind of a before scene and an after scene, and then later on, I kind of saw the middle part, probably just the Lord protecting me in memories. Um, And then it happened again in a different town with kind of a different situation, but very, very similar So, I mean, I can look back at traumatic events um, that can cause those those kind of open doors for the enemy to to just lie to you. Yeah. And so uh, but like big picture, I really think I just looked at my life through like a lens of rejection is the best way I can think of it. Like Mm. if you had sunglasses that were tinted red, you'd see everything red. I saw everything through rejection. Mm. I was so rebellious. I was naughty. I was aggressive and you know all these things and so I was convinced that nobody wanted me and so I was hard to raise like my parents did a great job considering what they had I think a lot of it was just the enemy lied to me so much I mm. just bought in mm. and then it came to a point in my life where my whole life it, it was like he'd been planning this all along to where I was rejected and then all of a sudden, found people who wanted me because I could provide something for them when I started selling drugs um, mm. and drinking and partying and having fun and, and whatever. So I think that's a big, a big scheme of the enemy for my life that opened up that door.
3: Yeah. That's, it's interesting because uh, I have other friends that say similar stories of how they drifted and how all of a sudden they became very popular <laughs> Sure. Uh, when they started dealing drugs and getting into that lifestyle. Give us a sense of how far away you drifted from God and um, and your family, because it sounds like that they, that they were you were they were close with you, but you weren't close with them. Sure. And you drifted away from them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I pushed my family away mm-hmm. tremendously. I left the house when I was fifteen-ish. I'd come home every couple of weeks, usually to get money, mm-hmm. to pawn something they had, or to eat. But uh, when I got clean, when I was eighteen and, and got saved and everything, I was living in a townhouse. I'd slept in for a court date. The Sheriff showed up at my parents' house um, looking for mm. me. So they told them where I was. They came in, kicked the door in looking for me. They took out 13 grocery bags full of drugs and paraphernalia, <laughs> um, everything from opium. We had a lot of tinfoil from the heroin, marijuana, bongs, like all of everything, syringes and, and whatever. And so that day, my daily diet of drugs or alcohol was a 30 pack of Miller high life, um, in the day. And then at night I drink a half pint of Yukon Jack. I was shooting up $200 worth of heroin a day. Wow. And I was smoking at maybe a quarter of, of marijuana a day. And then that wow. was like my daily. And then whatever came along, I ate a lot of acid and, and stuff like that. Um, so I'd overdosed three times that year. Most of my friends were dead. Um, or locked up. And so I was really to a point in my life where I either was going to die or get locked up. And I started to realize there just has to be more to life.
2: Mm -hmm. Boy, you gave us a a sense of kind of the darkness you were living in. Did your mind ever go back to church or faith, or did you feel like God had given up on you?
0: You know, the, the times that I overdosed, one of them in particular, I remember like with heroin, you'd kind of nod off and your eyes closed, but you can feel your heart stopping. Oh my. And so in that really deep nod, your heart just jolts. And I remember holding my eyes open and just saying, God, don't let me die. Hmm. I didn't like the church because I got hurt by people in the church, but you know, you're always around people, no matter where you're at, at Walmart or, or church. Mm-hmm. But I knew deep in my core that God cared. And so I would touch those moments, but I was afraid to touch them because I think deep down, I'm like, am I even worth it? Mm-hmm. You know, like, is it worth it? Or I don't want to be like so-and-so who said they love God, but did this to me kind of thing.
2: I know your family, they didn't give up on you, but how did your parents deal with you? Were they trying to talk to you to, to give your life to God? Or were you guys just not communicating at this time?
0: It was very difficult. Difficult. I remember once they wanted me to have dinner, and I made some smart remark to my dad, and he's said, I don't like your attitude. And I'm like, I don't like you. And I got up and left. Oh. I was just hot headed and I just didn't want to hear it. But I tell you this I would come home. I'm probably going to break down crying through this. I don't touch all uh, of these things at once. Yeah,
2: usually. It's, it's all right. We'll hang with you. That's right.
0: I would come home drunk, high, whatever before I left. Well, actually, I think it was after I got in trouble when they raided at my house. And I'd be hammered drunk. I'd trip over the night table, knock the lamp over, passed out. And my mom would put me on the couch. There was one song she'd always play. I can't remember who sang it, but it was like he ran to me. He came to my arms, mm. put my head in his chest and said, son, come home. Mm. And so even when I had no impact, in anything, they still bathed me in prayer and they got me in his presence whenever they could. Yeah. Even though my heart and my physical aspect rejected everything, we're spirit beings and my Mm -hmm. spirit can't push that away.
1: And that is so exciting and neat to have parents that don't give up and they don't just condemn and they don't just beat you over the head, but they love on you still. Yeah. And they keep praying. And it sounds like that's what your parents, Dennis and Cheryl, did on a regular basis and never gave up.
2: Hmm. So tell us, how did you wind up coming back to the Lord? Walk us through that whole process. How did it happen?
0: So my mom would give me $20 to go to church. So I would buy a bag of weed and smoke it and go to church.
1: Oh, you were going to church, so that's hey, yeah. Did the church have a
0: smoking section and a non-smoking? I made one. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, mm. So I remember there were times when I would go. I remember one of my best friends growing up called me right before he committed suicide, oh. and I took that one hard. Hmm. Actually, he paged me. This is how long ago it was. um And uh, I thought he was just wanting more drugs. We'd been up all night doing coke. And so um, he really just wanted a ride home. But I didn't answer because I was sleeping and I saw it, but I didn't pick it up. And he went home and killed himself. And so I kind of was like, man, if I had just given him a ride Mm. Um, and the come down from coke is always pretty hard. And so that's all it was. But I was sitting there and it was after church. And and this is so vital even to my life today. But I remember sitting there, everybody had kind of cleared out huge sanctuary. I think it's about a 1500 person to 2000 sanctuary at our church. And it was cleared out. Our church had been in revival ties with like the Brownsville revival and stuff. And I just remember sitting there thinking, this is the most peace I've ever felt in my life. Mm. My parents were just off waiting. You know, they weren't rushing me and I I will never forget that. So um, I ended up going one night and it was the play on the prodigal son and I already committed to going. So that morning I shot up a bunch, I'd been drinking all day and just kind of getting ready for church, I guess, in my own way. And, um, <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I was waiting my court date, my trial from the, the last time. And there was a guy there who knew my story, knew what I was going to face um, and he told me I was already facing a minimum of 40 years in prison. Wow. And so my mind is thinking, there's just got to be more to life. And so he saw me wipe a tear from my eye. And he's a big, big guy. I still talk to him every Sunday. He's a pastor at our church. And he um, came through and he came to me. And usually in an altar call, you go up to the altar, but they cleared back like five rows and there were so many people around me, but he put his arm around me. And just minutes before that, somebody came up and whispered in my ear, this, you know, is what you're living for worth dying for kind of thing. And, and those are the little shots that I took as like, you're not good enough. When are you going to be there? Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I just didn't like it, but he put his arm around me and he said, All you got to do is ask him to forgive you. That's it. And I cried 18 years of pain away. Mm, mm. I was dripping sweat. I weighed a whopping 135 pounds at six foot. And I cried so hard. I just sobbed. And I remember looking at him and I said, uh, I got nothing. I got nobody. If I, Mm. if I do this, I got nobody." And um so in the morning I woke up going through my withdrawals, shaking and sweating. I usually had needles loaded by my bed so I could wake up from the withdrawals and I'd inject and and i numb myself enough to start my day. And I woke up and I shaking, sweating, throwing up, and I just said, Jesus, I mumbled it. Mm. And this blanket of peace fell on me and I'd fall asleep. Everything stopped. And I did that for three days and that was. August 18th, 1997. I've been clean ever since. Um, But it birthed in me this hunger just for his presence. And my family are people of prayer. um, My grandpa, Terry's dad, I remember maybe a year or two before he passed away, I just had him lay hands on me and I asked him to, I wanted his faith. You know, like in scripture, when it talks about that, so I don't know how much I, I'm probably talking a lot, but no, no this is, no, no. this is powerful. Keep going. Okay, <laughs> So, so we were in revival and these are the things that saved me. And, and this is when I said, I want Jesus, not, I, I'm, I remember telling myself, I'll give Jesus a shot. I'm not huge on the people, but I'll give Jesus a shot. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and cool. so I would go to revival and it was powerful. Um, and I would come home. And I, I had no grid work for this. I didn't know what it was, but I was pretty raw and I walked in, I'd open up my door in my bedroom. I was back with my parents and it would be like a fog, like a cloudy fog. And I didn't know what it was, but it was the most beautiful piece I'd ever felt. And so oh. I'd lay in my bed and I'd read my Bible or I'd just cry or I'd pray or, or whatever. And later, I started to realize that that was the glory of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's wow. that's like in Scripture when it talks about Shekinah glory, like the manifest presence of God. Right. And so I bathed in that. Like, I hunger for that. If I can have one moment in His presence, it changes everything. So no matter what I'm going through, that's what I go for.
1: Hmm. I think it's so neat that our listeners hear that and know that— It doesn't matter what you do, how far away you are from him, Mm -hmm. all you have to do is ask for forgiveness. There may Mm. be a prodigal son listening to this right now.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. right.
1: All you have to do is ask for forgiveness. And then he takes it and does the miracle. To think that you, in three days— overcame that addiction Mm -hmm. by just speaking the name of Jesus
3: Mm -hmm.
1: and Mm -hmm. then allowing his presence and power to overtake your life by just asking for forgiveness. That's incredible. And Derek, you were mentioning the importance of your family and your brother in this recovery process. Touch on that just a little bit.
0: So I didn't mention this before, but I, at the moment was running heroin from Chicago to Cedar Rapids with a hitman from Chicago and a group of other guys from Chicago. One guy, his specialty was guns and the other guy was page, pagers. I always feel really old saying that. And then <laughs> uh, there were some other guys who were in some other stuff. So to get out of that usually isn't ideal. And so when I said, I have nothing, I have nobody like I got rid of my pager. And I really cut ties with everybody. And my brother to this day, like I've traveled all over. And whenever I think of this, my brother was going to school at North Central and he took a year off of Bible college just to be with me. So I had somebody. Wow. It healed Hmm. so much of that rejection in my life. To have somebody sacrifice. He knew he was going to be a pastor when he was nine. And he laid that down just to be with me. And mm. to this day, he's my best friend. He means so much to me. Yeah. Because of that year, he just chose to sacrifice for me. I'm so fortunate. Like, I can't imagine what it would be like to not have a Christian family. Some people don't have one person that would give them a pat on the back and say, good job running after the Lord. That was huge for me, and I just needed that. Not everybody needs that, but I needed that.
1: Yeah. Well, Derek, we're, we've are we got about five or six minutes left, but we really need to touch on how, once he brought you back, how he began to use you and establish ministry through you. Give us a quick sketch of that.
0: Sure. Um, so right off the bat, my pastor was awesome to me. We would have our revival services like uh regional and there'd be like a couple thousand people, but he would have me share my testimony. And at first it was, I mean, it was awesome all the time. I, I felt honored and everything, but I, I kind of was like, Lord, I don't want to just be a trophy. And he's like, Derek, I did all of this just because I love you. Everything just because I love you. You're not a trophy, but you're a testimony. Mm. And I'm like, okay, cool. So if you fast forward to maybe even 10 years ago, I was, I live in Iowa. I've kind of had a, a ministry in the Midwest on, um, just the prophetic reaching out to people, teaching people how to hear the Lord, how to just kind of rest and get in his presence. And so that's kind of my go-to, even cause I think that was birthed in me. And so I've seen a lot of miracles. I really just want him to come. I don't care how Jesus comes. I hmm. just want him to come just come in the room. And so when I'm speaking, I say, Jesus, come into the room, Lord, fill this room with your glory. I just want his glory to come up, take over. And in that I've seen people who are 90% paralyzed, stand up and do jumping jacks, 40 Mm. years of being deaf from wars, hand me their hearing aids, terminal cancer, like sent home to die. Go back that next week, everything clear. But it, mm. I really just go for his presence because everything mm. happens in his presence, and so Amen. that whole core—that's the core of who I am. I just want to be with him. If nobody—if mm. nobody else knows about it, I just want to be with him. That's and the biggest thing. And I go through phases where I lean into him more, and times where I feel closer, and I don't. I may have left my first love, but my first love never left Absolutely, me. and I just hold oh. on to that.
3: Absolutely. Uh, Derek, what would you say to families and parents, especially, um, who have a prodigal son? Could you uh, encourage them right now?
0: Yeah. In Ephesians 2, 6, it says we're seated in heavenly places. And I had this experience where I saw how that works in the heavenly realms. And I would say that if you begin to declare the things of God over something, Mm -hmm. the word of the Lord will always override the curse of the enemy or the scheme of the enemy. And so don't look at a circumstance and pray necessarily like, Jesus, don't let them do drugs anymore. Speak into their life. It says that he came to set people free. So I declare freedom over their life. I declare this. I declare Mm. and just dig into the word and declare what he's already spoken Mm. over them. And that awakens their spirit to connect with him
3: fantastic.
2: Yeah. Boy Derek, this has been so good. We're mm-hmm. we're getting near the end, but I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind praying for families who have lost loved ones, maybe they have a prodigal son like you. Just just would you pray for them right now?
0: Sure. So, Father, right now I thank you that you are so crazy in love with us. And even in Psalms 18, it says you rescued me because you delighted in me. And so Mm -hmm. father, right now I speak to every um, person who's um, on the stage of being prayed for by a family member or a friend who can hear this. And right now I say, spirit man, rise up and hear the voice of the Lord to you. Spirit man, rise up and be who God called you to be. You are not what the enemy whispers, but Mm. you're a child Mm. of God and you're called to, to, to destiny Mm. and to relationship and to be in his presence. Mm. So father, right now, I also speak hope to every family member who's been praying for years and years and years. It takes one moment and Holy spirit. I ask that you would just come to them in the night Mm. in Muslim worlds. People get saved by dreams all the time. Jesus comes to them. Why not here? Mm -hmm. So Jesus, just come and be powerful, be a powerful presence in their life and just give the families hope to keep pressing in and releasing what you've already seen in that person. Mm -hmm. In your name, amen.
2: Oh, wow. Derek, what a powerful story. Terry, Mm -hmm. I'm so glad we had Derek on, but we've got to just complete the story because I'm curious. What happened to the 40 years in prison? How did you get out of that real
0: quick? <laughs> <laughs> um, it got deferred. Whoa. I got deferred once when I was a juvenile. I had a lot of charges. And then I got deferred as an adult. I'd gotten saved in between my uh-huh. court date. And I talked to my lawyer and he went in to, and talked to the jury and came out. I didn't even go in. Wow. And he said, everything's deferred. I had to pay a lot of fines and community service. And then he said, you had a, another, I think, paraphernalia charge. And I'm like, Yeah. He goes, hold on. He went in, came out, and he said, that's dropped. My (laughs) goodness. So it's totally the Lord. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Here it is. Uh, Derek, thank you
2: so much. I'm going to wrap up with Brian and Terry, but an honor to have you with us. Thank you. And guys, what a story that God can truly
1: turn anyone around. It is never Mm -hmm. too late. Mm -hmm. It's never too late. Unbelievable story, and I I just love hearing it every time. And... God can do anything. He can take care of every single detail. And I know that there's parents out there that are still praying. And we just want to say, don't quit. Like Derek said, it only takes a moment. That's right. When he was talking, I kept thinking of the song. He was there all the time Hmm.
3: because he's always there. Oh, you got he's waiting for you. You know, he's not going to knock your door down. As soon as you ask him in, he's there
2: yeah wow the name of the podcast is finished wrong and we need to have our faith be strong and my faith was encouraged by derek Dean's story today and please share this podcast with others and especially parents who have maybe given up hope that their child or their grandchild will never come back to the lord yep. the lord has not let go of them that's right so keep praying keep believing And we'll see you in the next edition of Finish Strong. God bless everybody. Thank you for listening to Finish Strong. For more information about Finish Strong and Fearless Faith, check out their website, ffaith.org. Make sure that you rate and review this podcast to help more people accomplish their God-given purpose so that together we can finish strong.